Christ is risen. Early on the first day of the week, while it, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter, Simon Peter and the other disciple, the other one, the, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight to the tomb. He saw the stripes of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Super. Thank you very much. Excellent reading. Uh, okay, let me ask you something. Witnesses, right? Witnessing something. What's something you've witnessed that you can share here that maybe no one else here has seen or knows that you've seen? Something special, something you, you would be happy to tell other people, yeah? Your wife giving birth. No, none of the rest of us. And Becky's very glad none of the rest of us were there at the time. Uh, uh, so that's true. Bill? Charging elephants. Charging, oh, seeing, charging. You weren't charging the elephants. No. Seeing an elephant charge. Wow. That would be a scary and very scary, very scary right? Very drunk. Okay. Drunk <laughs> elephant. Right. <laughs> What else? Anything else? Something you witnessed that's special, unusual? Uh, yeah? It's a long time ago when I was living in France, in a very remote part of France. And I was hardly young at the time. And I remember very clearly one, one summer evening and watching the sun go down and then realizing actually the sun wasn't going down behind the mountains in the, on the horizon. Actually, the earth was moving, and that's why the sun, it's the illusion of the sun going down, actually. Uh, moving up. Yeah. All my life. It was a wow. Love to have had like a, a camera to fit, fit, film that and yeah. and for posterity. I don't know, it's something it's something that really made I wasn't Christian at the time, but it really made me think, wow, I must be a God. Mm. Something like that. Mm. A spiritual experience. Wow. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Anybody else? I would say um is a wild head and a half. I was looking after that had a very high heart rate and the doctors had to come and stop his heart at the moment and they have to restart it. So when Becky was sharing this one, that kind of, you know, took me back to that moment. And it was you know, very like, special and amazing. Thing. To see that, to see someone's heart be stopped and restarted. I think I'd pass out. I'm not sure I want to see that. I don't know. That's extraordinary, isn't it? There are moments in our lives that stay with us. Things we experience. Things we witness. Sometimes they're things we don't want to tell anybody else. But sometimes they're things we delight to tell other people. Special moments. And we, we are talking about perhaps the most special moment anybody could ever have experienced and witnessed to be able to tell 
somebody else. And what does it mean for you and me? What does it mean? Let's have a look at the next part of the passage where Jaden just stopped. We're going to carry on here in verse 11 to the next scene. And we have now Mary at the tomb. Mary Magdalene at the tomb. She's crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? Seems like a bit of a stupid question, but they were engaging her in some conversation here. They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Because she doesn't understand it's the resurrection at this point. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. Why do you think she didn't realize it was Jesus? She knew him really well, like a best buddy. She spent th- about two or three years following him. Why doesn't she realize it's him, Liesl? Didn't expect to see him. He's dead, right? So that's the last person you would expect to see. Any other possible reasons, you think? Right, I mean, you know what it's like when you're weeping. It's not just a little tear in the corner of the eye here. I mean, she's absolutely beside herself. You, you actually literally can't see straight. I mean, this is the kind of grief that's going on here. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. That's some bravery, isn't it? How, does she, how is she going to get him? How is she going to move the body on her own? How is she, what is she going to do with the body? Where is she going to take the body? I mean, this is still a very dangerous circumstance, isn't it? With the Romans having crucified Jesus. I mean, that's, she's not, I don't know whether she's not thinking straight or not, but, the, but there's a deeper point here of a passionate love and devotion to Jesus, isn't there? I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. What kind of experience was that? What was it like for Mary? Today I'd like to share a few thoughts about following Jesus and about Jesus himself. And as we look at the following of Jesus, what it means to follow. I think we're going to see some themes that stand out that are relevant to you and me here today. But first of all, let's think a bit about what's going on here and why Mary is so highly profiled. Should we put it that way? So we think about the cross for a moment. I did some analysis recently. Here are the names or the identities of the people that we know saw Jesus crucified. They were there at the cross. We've got Jesus' mother, Mary, the mother of Jesus. We've got the 
beloved disciple. This is in uh, John's Gospel, which many people think is the uh, Apostle John, though it's not definite. But anyway, the beloved disciple was there. There are many Galilean women. That's mentioned twice. There are a group of mourning women. There's the mother of the sons of Zebedee. There's Jesus' mother's sister, so Jesus' auntie. There's Mary Magdalene. There's Mary, the wife of Clopas. There's Salome and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. They're all at the cross. What do you notice about that, that collection of people? What stands out to you? Almost all women. There's only one man who's not named. There's also a lot of Marys, uh, <laughs> which is a bit of a theme. What about the burial? At the burial, we know, there may have been other people, but we know that Mary, the mother of Joseph, was at the burial. We know that there's a group of women from Galilee, as they are described. Nicodemus was there. The other Mary, which we don't know, but that's actually what it says in the scriptures. It just says, the other Mary. So, oh well. Mary Magdalene was there and Joseph of Arimathea. Again, we've got uh, a few Marys, and we have also a lot more women than men. We do have Joseph and Nicodemus mentioned by name. We'll come back uh, to them. And what about at the resurrection? In other words, who saw the resurrected Christ like at the time of his resurrection or right around that? We've got, again, the other Mary went to the tomb with spices. They were taking spices to embalm his body further. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea put 75 pounds of spices around Jesus' body, but it wasn't finished, that embalming process. They were going back on Sunday morning to finish the process, or they hoped to. They didn't know how because the stone was across the, the tomb, but nonetheless, they were going there. So the other Mary was going, the others, they're called, some other women. Salome went to the tomb. Joanna went to the tomb. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. And Mary, the mother of James, went to the tomb. Again, what do we notice? An absence of blokes. And a lot of Marys, again. Um, and maybe many others. We don't, the, the scriptures don't say these were the people there and exclusively these were the, those were the only people there. We, there were obviously some other people were involved, some soldiers were involved, but I'm talking about here people who had a relationship with Jesus. Isn't it rather interesting? So if you put that all together on one slide, um, the green is the men we're aware of. The beloved disciple Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea, it says, was a disciple of Jesus, and Nicodemus was kind of a secret disciple. Uh, he was an uh, undercover disciple um, in the shadows. But the other Mary, Mary, many Galilean women, the others, mourning women, Mary the mother of James, Mary the wife of Clopas, Salome, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, jo Jesus' mother, sister, Mary the mother of Joseph, mother of jo Zebedee's sons, Mary mother of James and Joseph, and Joseph, Jesus' mother, Mary. And maybe there's some overlap there with some of the Marys that might be the same Mary, but we're not quite sure. But nonetheless, we have a whole gaggle of women not very many men. And why, why did that happen is one question. And why is it recorded that way is another question. And we're asking this question for a number of reasons, but part of the reason is, in case you're not aware, in the church here, we are, we've just begun a series looking at men and women in the Bible, we're called, which we've subtitled, I've subtitled, A Divine Harmony. There's meant to be a real harmony between men and women. And so often in this world, there is not. And we're examining what the Bible teaches about the role of men and women and how we work together for the glory of God, bringing all of our gifts together for the glory of God and the edification of the church and, and to the reach of the world. And we're looking in particular at examples. On Sundays, that's what we're doing. 
Today, we're looking at the women around the tomb. Uh, other weeks, we'll look at Adam and Eve. We'll look at Deborah and Barak from the Old Testament, Esther and Mordecai from the Old Testament. We'll look at Jesus and the Samaritan woman. We'll look at Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. We'll look at various uh, men and women's interactions as we go through on Sundays. So that's what we're doing here. But let me share a couple of thoughts, and then we'll be taking bread and wine shortly, because as we take the bread and wine that symbolizes the body and blood of Christ, we are recognizing the sacrifice that he made to, to then enable God to give him this new life, which is then yours and mine as well. So the first thing I want to talk about is the very daring discipleship we see here. To be at the cross, to be at the tomb, at the burial, and to be at the tomb when Jesus was resurrected and around that, that was a very that was dangerous territory. Recently, Luton played Watford. If you know anything about if you know anything about that rivalry, you know that is dangerous to be around in the wrong part of the stand or, or, or the, the stadium. You, you know, and there are lots of things uh, like that. I drove past, actually, I drove past the Watford uh, Vicarage Road, the ground on the day that they were playing Luton, they were playing away at Luton. And as I drove past at 10 in the morning, they were loading up the coaches to take the supporters up there. And I saw lots of Watford men drinking lots of Heineken and Carling and finishing off many cans uh, before they got on the coach. I'm not sure I would have liked to have been there, either there or the other end, I don't know. But there are some places you really, you know it's a bit dangerous you don't want to be. If you're looking after yourself, you don't go to the cross. You don't go to the burial. You don't go to the tomb. These are daring disciples. Why are they so daring? Take Mary Magdalene. We know this about her. Not much, but this. Jesus had a group of women follow him, along with his male disciples, all through his ministry. Twelve were with him. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom not one, not two, but seven demons had come out. One would be enough, wouldn't it? Seven. And then there's Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, these are named, and then many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now that sounds to me like discipleship. They're following. They're with him as he teaches the crowds. He's, they're helping support him. They're making sacrifices so that he can carry out his work for God. They're not one of the twelve, but they're accompanying Jesus and the twelve, and just as involved in many ways as any of them are. And Mary Magdalene is the only woman who's mentioned in all four gospel accounts regarding the cross, the burial, and the resurrection. She's singled out. Somebody from whom seven demons have come out. Now, we can only speculate as to what that exactly means. It doesn't mean it's connected with sin, necessarily. It's just that she was very, 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 hang on, very, 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 very troubled. Troubled seven times over. And Jesus had cast them out. Doesn't that explain her daring discipleship? Her love for Jesus that went beyond what was reasonable? Disregarding her own safety? When you've had seven demons cast out of you, you've been given a new life. And you don't care for your life anymore in one sense. It doesn't matter. I've been given a new life. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is one of those who's also mentioned uh, more frequently than some of the others. 
And isn't it rather interesting that she's at the cross? I mean, you may remember back in Mark chapter 3, his family thought Jesus was out of his mind. They thought he'd gone crazy. And it, this, it does include his mother. Later on in Mark 3, it's his brothers and his mother are waiting for him to take him away. They want to take him away. So his mother wasn't a fan of his ministry. He didn't, she didn't think maybe he was doing all the right things, at least for a while. I mean, she was an amazing woman, but at this point she didn't kind of get it. But then she's at the cross. It must be only love that would do that, right? I mean, there's nothing quite like a mother's love for a child. It's fierce. If I told you the story of when Penny defended Fred, my son, our son, he was being bullied by some local little kids. He was young. He had a bicycle. And these kids bullied him and uh, took somewhere down the street and took his bike off him. And Fred came back and told us. And then one of these kids happened to come down the driveway where we lived, uh, where we were living at the time. And the kid came around the corner and, and Penny realized who he was. And Fred said, that's one of the kids. Penny marched up to this little child, grabbed him by his lapels, <laughs> lifted him off the floor till his face was level with hers. Now this kid's trembling. And she's, she said, don't you ever do that to my, don't you ever touch my son, don't you ever, I mean, and put him down. The kid just ran off. And we never had any trouble with that child ever again. <laughs> And Fred, Fred was so proud of his mum, right? I mean, I was proud of her too. And there's nothing, don't get, don't get between a mother and her child, right? There's a certain kind of loyalty, a certain kind of depth of courageous love that a mother has. And even though she may not have fully understood, she was there, powerfully there. And of course, we do know that maybe just prior to this time or at this time, she did come to believe in who Jesus was. Because in Acts chapter 1, very shortly after this, they're having a prayer meeting for the, uh, the people that are left behind, right? They're upstairs, and the people present are the apostles, and they join together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and there's lots of women, we already know that, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. She is a disciple, loyal and brave. She had, uh, it must have been so difficult. To I heard someone say this recently. I thought it was so touching. Jesus, Jesus, Mary, his mother, she's the one that saw his, at birth, saw his eyes open for the first time. And she's the one that saw his eyes close for the last time on the cross, encompassing the whole of his earthly life in that sense. And she was told by Simeon in a prophecy in Luke 2, that a sword will pierce your own soul. What was it like there to see her son be pierced with a spear? I don't want to put, don't want to claim too much connection, but what did it do to her heart when that was thrust into Jesus' heart? So intense. These women were brave disciples, and it's highlighted for us. And we'll come to that in a second. So I will also just mention Joseph and Nicodemus briefly. Joseph and Nicodemus is rather interesting because they're kind of secret in the shadows disciples. But they're highlighted here. We don't hear almost anything else about them in the Gospels. 
But here, Joseph goes to Pilate and says, can I have the body, which is a dangerous thing, and then takes Jesus' body and puts it in his own tomb. He's a rich man. He's got a rich man's grave. It must be a nice tomb. And he uses his own tomb. I mean, there's a sacrifice, isn't it? That should have been his. And what is Jesus? I mean, he's a dead guy now. And as far as Joseph of Arimathea is concerned, he failed. He was supposed to be Messiah. He's supposed to start the new, the new era for, for Israel, and it hasn't happened. He's now dead. And even though it looks like a failure, he still takes Jesus' body and puts it in his own tomb. There's something loving about that. I don't think he does that out of duty or because he thinks, okay, I'll put him in my tomb because I know in a two days' time, a three days' time, he's going to raise him from dead. It's going to be my tomb he comes out of, and I'll be famous forever. I'll be the one. I don't think he's thinking that way. I just love Jesus, and he, I, I, I want him to have my tomb. It's love that motivates this. And Nicodemus is hanging around as well. They're helping out. These are all, the men and the women involved, in some ways, are what could be described as marginal disciples. Not to, I'm saying that they're unimportant, but because they're not highlighted in the Gospels, and yet they're here at the end, and highlighted, significantly highlighted. There must be a reason for this. And they are terrified, as somebody said earlier. <laughs> At the account of the resurrection, uh, the guards are afraid. The angel said to the woman, don't be afraid. Uh, the women hurried from the tomb, afraid. And then Jesus says to them, don't be afraid. I mean, everybody's afraid. There's fear everywhere going on right here. They're not triumphant. They're not going into this whole experience of seeing the risen Christ as fantastic. I get to see this. They're terrified by everything. And the women, and Mary Magdalene in the passage we heard earlier, she goes to tell the disciples a frankly nonsensical message. They're not expecting the resurrection. She's going back to tell them something that's going to make her sound mad. I've seen him. What do you mean? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. She's going back to tell them about an event no one expected, and... She's also going to tell them something as, an, as someone who in that culture and society was an invalid witness. You may know in Judaism at that time, but also in the Greek and Roman culture of the day, women's witness to something was not considered valid if it was something like a court of law. Women didn't give testimony in a court of law because they were considered not to be reliable witnesses. And so what we're seeing here is Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, are reordering things in such a way as to make an obvious, uh, to make a point that should be really obvious to us, which is that God doesn't do the same the way the things the way the world does them, and this invalid witness is the prime witness, and not only prime but put their f uh, uh, front of stage, and God is saying to the to the apostles, the apostles, Mark you, I mean Peter, James, and John, and all those guys, the apostles, he's saying, listen to this woman, the woman who had seven demons cast out of her. Listen to her. She is my, you could say, apostle. Because apostle means missionary. means someone sent with a message. Here is my apostle. Listen to this apostle. So you apostles can get on with doing what you're meant to do. Isn't that amazing? I think it is quite something. It is very countercultural, Not what anybody was expecting. So my point here, and I'm going to wrap up with a couple of thoughts about Jesus, is that the courage to be a loyal disciple is available to any one of us. You can be courageous in your loyalty to Jesus, no matter 
how you feel about yourself, what society says about you, what the prevailing culture is. You matter as a witness. You matter as much as anybody else, whether you're a man or a woman, old or young, from one culture or another, it doesn't matter. Every single person can be a valid witness to Jesus Christ. You might be considered marginalized in this world, but Jesus never considers you marginalized. You are as valuable as anybody else. You might be the most vulnerable person in your situation compared to others, but that doesn't mean you don't have something of value. And if you are loyal and loving to Jesus, he'll still use you. You can be a good, powerful witness. Just to wrap up thinking about Jesus for a minute. One of the things I love about this account in the garden where he meets Mary Magdalene is that for all of his power, and he has just been raised from the dead, by the way. I mean, that's like a big deal in your life. If you've just been raised from the dead, and you, you would be excited, right? And generally speaking, don't know about you, but when I get excited, I get a bit less, in, a bit less sensitive. I'm not as sensitive towards people as when I'm really excited about something. Uh, but here is Jesus, who's had a unique experience no one has ever experienced, no, no, no one ever will in the same way that he did. And Mary comes into around him, and he's gentle with her. Isn't he? he? He's not harsh. He's not demanding. He just says, woman, why are you crying? He, he wants to engage with what's going on for her. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Being helpful. Being kind. And she tells him, well, I don't know where they put him. I want to go find Jesus. Doesn't realize it's him. Are you, if you carried him away, tell me where you put him. And she says, just Mary. And it's at that point, somehow, the penny drops. And she realizes who it is. Why, why does Jesus take this approach? I suggest, at least, he takes this approach because he genuinely cares about her as an individual. He doesn't come out of the tomb and go, da-da, here I am, everybody. Mary, there you are. Go and tell the apostles. So-and-so, go and tell somebody else. Go and off you go. You've got your orders. Off you go. He could have come out and just laid out a proclamation. He could have written it in the sky. He could have done anything. But he talks to a vulnerable, disregarded woman on a personal level. He cares about her. He wanted to know he wanted her to know she was special to him. The culture, she wasn't special to the people in the culture. She wasn't special to the men in that culture. But she was special to Jesus. He treated women in a way they were not used to. Why else would crowds follow him all the way from Galilee? That's a long way. Presumably they had to save up and get some cash and money and different things to be able to travel with him. It's because they felt special. And I hope and pray that all the women here today, online as well, that all of you women feel special. I mean, at least to Jesus. Jesus feels special about, you're special to him. And, and I hope and pray that as a congregation, we can be the kind of place where all the women in this church feel special. Like you matter. That you're cared about.
by the men and by each other. Maybe it's not the core message of the resurrection. The core message of the resurrection is that we have new life. But we talk about that a bit more often. But perhaps the other part of what we're seeing here, the way that the resurrection is being shown to us, is to remind us that everybody matters to God, especially those who feel marginalized or vulnerable. And that has often been the case for women in this world over millennia. Go and tell, he tells us. Go and tell. Go and be my apostle to the apostles. And of course, they go on to do the same. Just before we take the bread and wine, let me put one last thought in your head. This encounter with Jesus for Mary Magdalene takes place in a garden. Jesus is the new Adam, the Apostle Paul tells us. Isn't there some kind of parallel and contrast with what happened in the Garden of Eden? There's something going on there, I think. Two gardens. One where death came in and one where life came in. One where a woman and a man did not work well together. I'm not going to give extra blame to Eve or Adam. We're going to talk about them in a week or two. But they didn't work well together. And here we see a woman and a man, you could say, working well together. We see the death brought in in Eden. We see life given here in, in this garden where the tomb is. So we take bread and wine because we have new life. Because the curse has been reversed. And the enmity between men and women has been healed. And we can show God's God to the world by our harmony here. As we care about each other in the way that Jesus cared for men and women. Perhaps I'm the wrong person to bring this message. Somebody sent me this uh, thing uh, the other day. In the interest of biblical accuracy, all the preaching about the resurrection this Easter Sunday will be done by women. <laughs> Maybe that's how it should be. I don't know. Every one of us matters.